Good morning. I just want to bring you greetings from the other side of the city in on the west side, Price Hill. Um, my husband and I work there with Block Ministries in a neighborhood that we love very much. Um, so I've been blessed to and invited to share with you this morning um, because we've been in a series this year, about a nine-month series called Wholehearted. And when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole strength. And what we understand about the heart in our culture is small, I think, compared to what the Jewish understanding of that, of that word was. It was the whole person. It was the essence, everything involved in who you are. And so Jesus was asking us, love the Lord your God with all of you, every part. So we've been working our way through that. Asking the question, really, if, what if, what would your life be like at the end of 2022? If you knew Jesus more, if you loved him deeper, if you experienced more of him in this wholehearted way, what would your life be like? How would it be different? And then the last few weeks, we've been in kind of a mini-series um, talking about wholehearted health. Chris spoke with us first, taught us about relational health, some things that we could do that would improve our relational health. Last week, we heard from Rob talking to us about our physical health. And so today, I have been privileged to come and talk with you about mental health, something I feel very strongly about. Um, I've been working in this field for most of my adult life, which is longer than I'm going to tell you. Um, but bringing this morning the idea that God cares about your mental health, just like he cares about your relational health, your physical health, your spiritual health. He cares about your mental health. So I want to start with some, just some statements. Um, I'm throwing, probably throwing a loop. I mean, a, a, okay. I'm not going to say anything. I want you to read these. And I'm asking for a little audience participation here. If you read this statement and think what the person who said this, what might be in mental health, mental illness terms, what might this person be struggling with? Depression. Thank you. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Okay, next. <laughs> Maybe eating disorder, clearly still depression, maybe anxiety. Wait, is weight loss a real thing that happens when people are struggling with their mental illness? Yes. Okay. Thoughts on this one? Anxiety. Yikes. I cannot turn it off. I can't go to, I lay in bed going, I just got to get through till morning. Okay. And the last one. I want to tell you that every single one of these statements came out of the scriptures. And the reason that I, that's important to me is when I read 
the human condition that I find in the scriptures. It speaks to me because it says a lot about who God is and his understanding of his people and that the, the book, the word, is filled with broken people who are struggling, who are sometimes feeling like the foundation they're standing on is at best doing this. Sometimes they're wondering if it's there at all. So that's right out of scripture. So this morning, I wanted you to think about how much, I want us to just pause for a second and think, how much does Jesus care about our mental health? I know in this room, there are people struggling with mental health issues. I know that because there's more than five of us here. If you go to the NAMI website, it will tell you the current statistics on mental illness in our country. One in five adults will have, they'll experience some sort of mental illness each year. One in 20 will experience a serious mental illness. We call that in my work a clinical significance. What does that mean? That means it upends my life. It gets in the way of my life. So one in 20. So when I look around at this group and I think, I know, I know there are people here who are struggling with depression, who are struggling with anxiety. I know that there are people in this room whose lives have been touched because someone you love very much died by suicide. I know that because there's that many of us here and it's that prevalent right now in our, in our world. The last one, I just, the last statistic I wanted to share was one in six youth, ages six to 17, one in six will experience a mental health disorder each year. So there's a lot that could be said. And what time did I start and what time do I need to finish? <laughs> That's real. It's 9.52. What time do I need to be done? I sound like Rob last week. Nine, at 9.45? 10.45. No, wait, what? 10.15. Oh, man, okay, I can do this. There's so much to say in this, in this topic, so much. But I want to start by saying, and this, some of this is going to be like sound clinical, some of it's just good old common sense, and just I've lived this journey for a long time, and it boils down to some things. There's a huge difference. I want you to hear this this morning. There's a huge difference in feelings and facts. Feelings are extremely important. And I think sometimes people will push feelings aside when you start talking about this. Oh, that's just your emotions. Oh, well, guess what? Your emotions, you're made in the image of God. So God is full of emotion. Your emotions are good things. They're indicators. They are things that make, make us alive feel alive, but they're not facts. And sometimes the way we feel can get, can like be way elevated over what's true and what the facts are of my life. And I can get emotions are what can drag us down sometimes into these places that are dark and lonely and whatever. And there's a whole other side of fact and truth that we also have to think about. So when I was thinking about this whole topic coming into this 
series, I was like, golly, what would I, what, what could I talk about? Chris asked me, give us some practical steps, which I will do at the end. But there's about three truths that I want you to leave here with today. And I'm, I am integrating mental illness and mental health with my faith, with our purpose of gathering as followers of Jesus. So some of it's going to sound like mental health language, and then some of it's not. But the first truth I want you to know is God wants to be known. Now, what does that have to do with mental health? I'll get there. God wants to be known. So he introduced himself with an interesting phrase. The first time I came across this, I was a young woman, and I was reading through the Bible in a year. And the phrase jumped out at me then, and then I noticed it again and again and again. But the story of how it came to be is when God is asking Moses to come up on the mountain, bring those tablets that you've already thrown down and gotten disgusted with the people and broken. Bring two more tablets because I'm going to fix that. I'm also going to show you myself. And so when he does that, and, and you know, if you know this story, you know that he puts Moses kind of in the cleft of a rock and covers him because he can't see, God says, you can't see my face. But I'm going to show you, and he passes, passes by Moses. But what's fascinating is he introduces himself this way. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Now, I read that, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's just an interesting way to introduce yourself. Guess what? It appears like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least seven other times in the, in the Old Testament exactly like that. Centuries apart, these writers were, didn't talk to each other, didn't know each other, but this is exactly how God continues to describe himself. So this is who I am. I am a lot of things, and we can't begin to understand God, and I know that. But my point is this morning, this God that is this cosmic king of the universe that is sometimes outside any possible realm of our understanding wants to be known wants to be known. He is the story. We've had a lot of, because of different churches we've grown up in, maybe, we have different, we've, we've heard different descriptions of God. We've heard him, we, we just have different pictures. And sometimes, sometimes they're, they're, they're negative or they're scary or they're, we just cannot understand them. But what I want you to think about, if you step back and look at the whole story, which starts with him, <laughs> he created all of this, that the best parts that you see that are beautiful of this world. And then I, I want to share it with you. So I'm creating you so I can share this with you. Oh, and then I'm giving you a free will because I want you to be able to choose. And then, of course, what did mankind do? We rebelled. But the rest of the time in the story is God saying, I just want you to come back. I just want you to be with me. I just want to be known. 
So over and over and over. And through the Old Testament, which can be daunting, the heart of God is return to me. Come back. I want you to know me. I want, to, I want you to live in my presence and with me. So much so that I sent my son so you can see my heart. So we can relate probably easier to Jesus, I think most of us, because he was human. And the picture that we see of Jesus is, I don't know, maybe a gentler picture than we sometimes think of as the God of the Old Testament. But it's the same, same God. I'm sending my son so that you can know me because I want to be known. So that's number one. He wants to be known. This is going to connect, I promise. <laughs> number two, you are known. You are known. There's a story in Genesis 16 about a woman named Hagar. Some of you may know this story. Crazy. She was a slave, a slave girl to a woman named Sarah who was married to Abraham. Abraham had been given this promise by God, you will be the father of many nations. Through your people, I'm going to bless the whole world. You'll have as many descendants as the stars and the sand and all this, these things that can't be measured. Problem is, no child. So they were married for a lifetime. Nothing's happening. So Hagar is this slave girl of Sarah. Sarah, in her desperation, gives Hagar to Abraham and says, do your thing, <laughs> father a child. So he does. A child is born. And after that all happens, now guess what? Sarah is bitter and angry toward Hagar and toward the child. So at one point, Sarah is upset with Abraham. She's like, you just make them go away. Make them go away. So you, go, you see this picture. And if you stop and, and sit with it and take time to think, what would it be like? to be in Hagar's shoes. I, I've, I'm just doing this because I've been made to do it because my, I'm a slave and now I'm completely and totally rejected. I'm completely and totally hopeless. She's in the desert. She is crying out for survival. And an, God sends an angel to talk to her and comfort her and give her hope and a way forward. And you know what she... The scripture says after that, she calls God El Roy, which means the God who sees. So she's not, she's not an Israelite. She's not a chosen one. She's this Egyptian slave girl, but she comes to understand he sees me. He sees me in the desert, in desperate survival mode. He sees me. So I want you to hear today. He sees you. And I'm just going to read. This is a familiar passage, but I love it out of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I'm not trying to flee. What this is saying is there is nowhere. There is nowhere I can go that you are not there. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there which says to me in mental health language, if I sink to the bottom of despair, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, 
even there, your right hand will guide me. I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark for you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are known. You are known by a God that through Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. We gloss over that. That's a weird statement. But think about it. Sit and think. This God knows you, knew you, created you, knit you together in your mother's womb. You are known. Corey Ten Boom, some of you may be familiar with who that is. She was a person who lived during World War II. Was, um, they were Gentiles who dared and risked everything to rescue Jewish people and hide them in their house. And they were caught. She and her they were two sisters who had never married, living with their father. They were all caught. They were all imprisoned. She's written a book called The Hiding Place. If you've never read that, it's just an amazing story of faith and hope. But she makes this statement. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So I know that some of you have struggled with feeling like I'm in a dark pit that I can't crawl out of. I can't get out of bed. I can't, I can't live the way we're supposed to live, I hear. And I'm here to say to you this morning, that is how you're supposed to live. That God's design was for us to live whole, free happy lives. The problem is we're in a broken world at this point and everything is touched by the curse, everything. And so sometimes mental illness can be wrapped up in genetics. Sometimes it can be wrapped up in the result of trauma, of circumstances, of someone else's choices. Sometimes our own choices play in, sometimes, to where we find ourselves. But I want to build on this God who wants to be known, knows you deeply. And then the third thing I want you to know is you're not a label. When I was taking my first class in diagnosis of mental disorders way back in the day, the first thing the professor did, held up the DSM, which probably at the time was four, I don't know. We're on DSM-5 now, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And he held it up, it's about this thick, and he just holds it up and he goes, this is our textbook, great. You're going to find every person that you love and care for in this book. <laughs> he said, I'm just going to tell you that's going to happen. You're going to study through these diagnoses and you're going to go, oh my gosh, there's my dad. Oh my gosh, there's my Aunt Matilda. There's my sister. Yep, everybody is in there. And it is a classification system of the things that we struggle with, you know. Um, and it's funny because he said, you, you've, got to, you've got to get past that. I used to have a t-shirt that said, one of my students gave me when I was teaching that said, keep talking, I'm diagnosing you. <laughs> I'm like, I'd wear that. Mm, then I'm wondering why am I sitting alone at the table? Um, 
We all have struggles. It is a broken world. We all have struggles. But you're not a label. And so whatever you have, you, well, wait, I take that back. You are a label. You have been labeled. Beloved. Son of a king. Daughter of a king. Co-heir of Jesus. We could go on and on. That's, that's who you are. This mental illness or these mental health issues that you might be struggling with do not define you. That is not who you are. You are a precious child of God who is made in his image and was woven together by a good, loving, creative God. That's who you are. Okay, so I got to hurry. It's 10.06. Um, so some of us in this room I know have had serious mental health issues, may still be there. Most of us struggle with the spectrum of how emotionally healthy we are. Very quickly, there's a resource for all of us that I was actually given by my son-in-law. Um, I think I've got the title up here, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If you're interested, this book is fantastic. It's very practical. It was written by a pastor whose life tanked. And as he has looked at it through the lens of walking with the Lord, but dealing with emotional maturity on the spectrum. So for all of us, real quick, if you'll just show that next slide, we won't spend a lot of time here, but he gives us 10 symptoms of where are you on this emotional maturity, emotionally unhealthy place. Um, and I think, I don't want to spend a lot of time because I don't have a lot of time, but like, are we so busy in our Bible activities and our church activities or our spiritual activities that we're not really sitting with the Lord who sees us and can say to us that that little piece in there that needs to be that needs to be stripped away or needs to be healed? I can do that, but we're too busy doing the Bible study to do that, if that makes sense, to sit with that. Okay. Um, the other thing, the third one, dying to the wrong things. What in the heck does that mean? We are called to die to the sinful parts of ourself. But this quote from, who was this? Church father, Irenaeus. The glory, I love this. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Isn't that awesome? The glory of God, when we are living our lives in the fullness of who he created us to be, it brings him glory. And so when we are in this wholehearted way, healthier and stronger, it shines and shows who God is. Now, Paul will say, but what if you have a thorn in the flesh that the Lord won't take away? Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. So, the last... Five of those you can look at. I like number six again, doing for God instead of being with God. I mean, there's just some things to look at there. Okay, so if we think about our lives and we think, how do we, what do we do with in a practical way? What do we do if we know if we're trying to be this wholehearted? healthier place what how can we what are practical things well I'm going to say one of the first things that's most important and I don't know that these are in order of importance but this is certainly the first one that came into my mind and I'm going to blame the Holy Spirit you have to tap into the body you have to 
you cannot, I cannot overestimate the importance of plugging into community. Chris said this two weeks ago in his first message in this mini-series. It's okay to be single. He's talking about relationships. It's not okay to be alone. It's not okay to be alone. So if you are struggling with mental health issues, oftentimes you feel alone. There we are back to that feelings are not the same as facts. You feel alone, but, that, but you don't have to be alone. You don't have to stay there. And one of the things, a practical step that you have to do is reach out if it's to one person. I am a big one on baby steps. Baby steps. That's what accomplishes everything. If I'm driving down the highway and I make a two degree adjustment on my steering wheel, I'm going to be in the median <laughs> or off the road. Two degrees, that's not a big deal. You know, because it's just a small change, but a small change is what's going to get me started. So maybe you just have to reach out. One of my dear friends that I have grown to love through the work I've done, a woman who's been through God only knows what, she said one day, nothing changes if nothing changes. And I'm like, well, that's profound. <laughs> and it is. But the problem is, when, I'm, when I am, like, struggling with depression, I don't have the motivation even to reach out. Then that's when somebody in your community says, dude, what's the matter? You can't stay here. I'll come with you. I'll walk with you in this. That's what community does. That's one. Two, find your go-to. And what I mean by that is therapy. Okay, I did that for years. I'm all about therapy. I don't think it's the only way to find healing and mental health. I think there's mentors. I think there's spiritual directors. I think there's best friends who can help you see this thing objectively. That's the, that's the goal. Somebody outside of this that is not experiencing it themselves, they're able to, they're able because they're tethered to something, <laughs> To, to cast you the lifeline. But if, you know, they jump in with you, you both go down. So find who that person is. Who's that go-to? Number three, learn, oh my gosh, this is huge. Learn to recognize the lies of the enemy. Because I'm telling you, he's on a mission. Steal, kill, destroy. And he, I think, has more freedom to move in mental health than in a lot of places. I'm not going to say than anywhere because, you know, that's... But he is on the move. If I can convince you to believe you're worthless or to believe you're alone or to believe you don't deserve, you know, whatever, go down the line of the things that you might struggle with in your own thinking. Community will help you recognize the lies of the enemy. So will the Holy Spirit, but community will do that. Okay, which then leads into my last one of these practical, well, no, there's two more. Take a holistic approach. So we've been talking about this. If, you're, if you address your spiritual health, it's going to affect your mental health, hopefully in a positive way. If you address your physical health, it's going to affect your, affect your mental health. Guess what? There are studies aplenty out there that say physical activity and exercise 
will do the same thing chemically in your brain as antidepressive medication. It releases the endorphins that, they, that we have learned to manufacture and put in pill form, but physical activity and exercise can help in the same ways. So if you go back to Rob's message last week, if I'm doing some things to steward my physical body, it's also going to help my mental state. So if we look at a holistic picture, our physical health, our spiritual health, and, I, and I, I'm going to pause for a second and say, I do believe this God, this Jesus who did miracle after miracle after miracle in the New Testament is not done doing miracles. He's not done delivering people. And he does that. He does that. But sometimes he doesn't do it the way we want it done or in, that, in the time that we want it. So I'm still going to say pray for deliverance from depression. Pray for deliverance from suicidal ideation. Learn the lies of the enemy. Do these things that you can do. But sometimes he might say, for his reasons, I'm, I'm going to not deliver you from that addiction like that. I'm going to not do that. I, I can't explain that. It's a, it's a journey of faith with the Lord that's huge. So, if seek that, but if it doesn't happen... Get some professional help. It's okay. And that's the thing I think that just like God, because I believe it comes from God, whatever enlightenment, whatever wisdom, whatever things we've been given as a human race that are good and right and helpful are coming from the Father of light. I believe that. So cancer, we know how to treat some of those. Yeah, you have this whole regimen of treatment. Guess what? Major depressive disorder, we know how to treat that. Sometimes it involves medication. And sometimes we think, well, I can't, I can't rely on that for that, but I can take insulin. <laughs> okay. The same God who gave us the wisdom and the knowledge to treat the physical body is about treating the, the mental health and the emotions. Why? Because he wants his people to live in fellowship with him in fullness, an abundant life. I'm not a prosperity gospel person. That's just what Jesus says. I want you to live an abundant life. You might live that with a limp, but you can still live it. And for his reasons that I, I'm not going to pretend to understand, sometimes that's the case. Paul and his thorn, Jacob and his limp. But you can still live this beautiful life because you're in fellowship with the one who knows you and who wants to be known by you. So, I got to quick because it's 1017. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, God sees you, loves you, cares about your mental health. And we're going to close this by asking Catherine to come and share a little bit of a testimony. But I want to put a scripture up that speaks volumes to me, again, about the heart of God. And I was talking to Catherine a little bit before 
this service, and I said, have you ever felt like this? She said, oh, yes, I have. Do you see the heart of God in this scripture? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Some of you I know today are bruised or are smoldering. But here's the last words that are straight up from the voice, the mouth of God. Now, this is what he wants to do. Now the dwelling of God is with his people and he will live with them, with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or depression or anxiety or suicide for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, yeah, that was such an encouraging message for me. Um, and my heart's tender and I'm nervous, so if my voice is shaky, <laughs> just go with it. Um, like she said, I'm Catherine, and um, I want to say that everyone's experience with mental health is different, and so I know that you are walking through something specific to you, and at the same time, I've seen similarities in anxiety and depression, so I'm sharing with that heart, um, hoping that my story can encourage you. Um, I've had two bad bouts of anxiety and depression. Uh, my dad often would tell me that they're two sides of the same coin, and that's definitely been my experience. Um, the most recent time was in the fall of 2020 when we were planting this church, um, and I started to slowly spiral downwards back into anxiety and depression. Um, looking back, I see that it was brought on by a number of things. Um, Chris, my husband, and I, we basically had what was a failed adoption um, that we felt like God had promised to us. Um, we were going through infertility at the time. We started this church. Um, there was a bunch of responsibility and new people with that. Um, and then finally, I was really overwhelmed in my job. Um, and I kept trying to just push the bad thoughts down um, to think happy thoughts and like not dwell on that. Um, but that just seemed to make it worse. Um, it just dug this rut into my mind even further. Um, and I didn't feel like I could get out of it. Um, so to kind of characterize the time for you and give you some examples, I remember in that time thinking, um, man, I wish, I wish I could do laundry and not be anxious and just do laundry and enjoy like the mundane task and go about my day uh, because doing laundry made me anxious. Um, I remember questioning things around existence, um, like why did God put us here? Why am I here? All of this seems so pointless. Um, I remember questioning whether God was real, um, if I had a relationship with him. Um, I couldn't hear from God like I used to. I couldn't really understand the gospel or how it was personal to me. Um, so everything that I believed was shaken. Um, nothing felt certain or secure. 
Um, and it was really, really scary. Um, so I just want to say, if you're in that place, I see you today. Um, and I know how scary it is. Um, during that time, I had steps that I would take um, to try and help me um, when I was like feeling those thoughts <clears throat> that uh, my therapist and Chris helped me to come up with. Um, I did all sorts of things from reading affirmation statements each day to buying ready-made prepackaged meals so I didn't have to think about putting together food. Um, and I did a bunch of these things off and on for a few months, and sometimes they did help. A lot of times they seemingly did nothing, um, which made it really hard to want to keep doing them. Um, but my therapist, he gave me an image of uh, me standing in a deep pool underwater. And um, each thing that I did was like a brick that I was putting under my feet um, and that stacked on each other. Eventually, over time, um, I would be able to breathe again. Um, and if all those things were bricks, the final couple bricks that I um, laid were really difficult for me. One was deciding to get back on antidepressant medication, which was a really hard decision for me to make. Um, but that brick allowed me enough of a mental breath and space to realize that the work project I was overseeing, I could not realistically do. It was not healthy for me to be doing that. So I laid down another brick. I told my board that I was really overwhelmed um, and I didn't think I could do that part of my job. Um, and they graciously relieved me from the project. Um, from there, I kept laying down bricks because the more distance I got from the surface of the water, the more I made decisions that helped me get out of the mental rut that I had gotten in in the first place. And I still remember how free and light I felt the day that the board relieved me from my responsibilities. Um, and uh, today, if you're going through a mental battle, I want to encourage you that you will, you will feel free and lighthearted again. Um, this is not the end. I encourage you to stack one more brick. Um, that's all I believe God asks of us in those moments. He does bring healing and restoration. But I realized in that season that it did require something of me too, um, even when I couldn't see the fruit of it. So stack one more brick, um, admit to a friend that you aren't okay, buy ready-made meals so you don't have to worry about food, um, get prayer, remind yourself of the gospel. But this is not the end. Today is not the end for you. God sees you, he has not abandoned you, and he invites you into healing. Um, I want to end my time by singing a song over any of you that are going through a mental battle right now, um, and the band can come up and get set up. Um, it's a song that it's been really powerful for me in my healing, um, and it helped the Lord reintroduce himself to me at a time when my core was shaken and I didn't know if he was real. Um, so I'm asking that the Lord would meet you in the midst of darkness and that he would remind you of his love for you.
it's quiet in this house upon a hill you won't mind some things you can't know till you're still in the silence let your spinning thoughts slow down in the stillness things have a way of working out allow me to introduce myself again i'm the one that knew you before time began and i've been waiting for you to let me be your friend everything you ever need is everything i am i am i am i am Take your chances. There's nothing here to lose. Ask your questions. I promise you the truth as you're ready. I want to hear your heart. Is it heavy? Where wounds have left a mark Allow me to introduce myself again I was with you every place you've ever been And I'm the one that held you when you couldn't stand If you're one who can heal your brokenness I can I can I can upon a hill how I want to show you I am real allow me to introduce myself again I'm the love you used to think could not Exist. I'm as sure as where 
you're standing and as free as the wind and you don't have to reach for me cause this is where I am I am I am I am I am I